Exodus chapter 14. Chapter 14, we're going to pick it up in verse 15. Um, you, if you have an outline, you'll see that we are now at the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, the exiting of Egypt and all that was involved with that. Um, now we are dealing with um, the Red Sea. Um, we'll have a word of prayer and um, we'll pick it up in verse 15. Father, help us to listen because we just sang. Uh, help us, Father, to be sensitive to what you are doing and to how you accomplish what you accomplish. And Father, the amazing stuff that uh, you've already done. And yet, Lord, what you are accomplishing. Father, um, these are strange times. Um, we hear so much and we have so much information. And yet, Lord, I listen and I try to screen it and to hear. And it is difficult in this day and age to not be discouraged. And yet, Father, you're busy. You're busy. Father, as I was just looking at your word, thinking on you, dwelling on you, it dawned on me that you created time. I don't even know how to grasp that. And yet, Father, you give us your book. so that we may walk in a manner worthy, that we may have an understanding, though partial, but an understanding of what you do and how we are involved. I don't understand that, Lord. And yet, Father, your ways are not our ways. Father, help us to see this here. Help us to rest in this. Help us to know that as you reveal yourself to us, we will just become more overwhelmed with your presence to your glory. Amen. In verses 14, chapter 14, verses 15 through chapter 15, verse 21, um, this is a fascinating text. I mean, uh, we all know the story that is behind it. The truth is, it's a historical event. It actually happened. And, and it's fascinating because um, we see this, we hear this, and, and, and we think the crossing of the Red Sea, and yet there is this rejoicing that takes place. And yet then there is also this utter crushing that takes place at the same time. Um, I, I struggle with it at times, and I understand. I, I know Pharaoh hardened his heart. He wouldn't get through. God intervened, hardened his heart. God was going to show all of the nations how powerful he truly is. I understand all of it. I understand the theology behind it. And yet, I, when I watch it and I read it, it is so awesome to me 
um, that at the same moment there is this massive deliverance, there is this massive destruction. When I read the book of Revelations, um, one of the things that I, I know emphatically about that book is the reestablishing of the covenant people Israel. God fulfilling of the Gentiles is taken care of and He reestablishes His relationship with Israel. And you would have to say that that has got to be one of the most awesome times that we could ever grasp. Except when you read that a fourth of humanity will be destroyed. And yet Israel be, but it's the same event. It's the same event. I remember reading years ago a guy named Albert Barnes. And this talking about the doctrine of sin that is in the first three chapters of uh, Romans. And he made a comment. This guy wrote during the time of the Civil War. And he made a comment, and it's always kind of stuck with me. It's always kind of floats around in my head and every once in a while comes wandering through. And when I was going through this, it became apparent. But he said, understand that mankind will glorify God, period. I don't care who it is, okay? They will glorify God, period. It will either be in their redemption or their destruction. The same event will glorify God. And I've always thought about that. And that's what I see here. Okay, because this text is, it shows you the frailty of humanity to start with, the power of God, definitely. But um, it shows you what you and I do. Okay, not to the extent that I'm running from Pharaoh in the chariots, but how quickly do I trust him? Absolutely. And then something happens. And in verse 15, it says, why are you crying out to me? <laughs> but we do. We, why are you crying out to me? Did I not say I would take you out? Did I not say that Pharaoh and them will give you earthly possessions to go? Did I not say that your, your herds, your flocks would go with you? Did I not say that I will do it in such a way that all the nations will know that I am God? Did I not say that? And yet, they go out, they're confident as they go out, and then all of a sudden they hear Pharaoh and his chariots are right behind us. And it says they cried out. Tell the sons of Israel to what? Go forward. Go on. 
Go and do exactly what I've told you to do. Go on. As for you, now he gets specific to Moses. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. I find this fascinating because I look at this. Do you know that the rod, the staff was in the Ark of the Covenant? That box. Okay, it had significance to the, na- the nation of people. The Ten Commandments was in there. Okay, some manna is in there, and Moses' staff is in there. Okay, actually, it says it had a bloom on it. I mean, the sucker was growing. I mean, what? All right, but when I think about this, to the Jew, this staff is called the rod of deliverance. Because he holds the staff up and it delivers them across the Red Sea. But do you understand that how many times did he use it to bring the plagues on? Have you ever thought about that? If you're on the other side of the plagues, do you think that staff is a staff of deliverance? Same stick. And you know what? It is that staff that in an instant that comes up here shortly that keeps Moses from going to the promised land. You don't get to go. Why? He takes the staff and he does what? Strikes a rock. Why? Because God said, speak to the rock and forth will come water. But if I take the staff, then people are going to start saying, It's the stick. It's the stick. And I always, that one there always kind of bugged me. You're telling me that just by touching the rock with the stick, I'm not going to the prompt. It's sort of like Ananias and Sapphira. How many people have lied to the Holy Spirit? I don't know anybody who hasn't. Okay? But Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead. They fall over dead. And you're sitting there going, what the heck was that? This stick brought on the plagues. This stick will divide the waters and make a valley. In that same valley, you will have of of water. It heaps up on each side is the way it's described. It just stacks up on each side. That same place has this, I can walk on dry ground and these others will drown. Read on. Verse 17. As for me, this is Yahweh speaking, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them being the people. He's already told the people what I want you to do. Keep going. Go forward. The Egyptians will go in after him. And I will be honored. Now read the second half of that verse 17. I will be honored through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. God's going to be glorified. You're going to have two million... Jews go through this valley of water and right after it, you're going to have 600 plus chariots of Pharaoh go in and both instances, God will get the glory. 
God will be honored. Verse 18 says, then the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. Absolutely, they are going to know it. When I am honored through Pharaoh and through his chariots and through his horsemen, his massive soldiers, his massive army, this great fighting machine will bring me honor. But I want to show you something that's kind of cool in verse 19. It says, the angel of the Lord. Okay, we, we met him last week. He's leading. Remember? He was in the pillar of fire. He was in the clouds. And he was leading, right? Look what happened. Had been going before the camp of Israel. Okay? But he moves. He moved and he went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. He has moved from leading to protecting. He was the advance guard. Now he is the rear guard. Okay. God's got it going on. He knows what's happening here. Verse 20. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. All right. That is a serious guard. That is a serious guard. We will learn in history that one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in an evening. Just one. Okay. Now, Pharaoh's probably got a pretty good thing here, but I'm thinking that if God's got these pillars of fire and a cloud thing moving around as he commands and it's kind of doing his work, I mean, if I keep in mind, what does angel of God mean? A messenger of God. If I'm a soldier and I see that thing, I'm saying, I really want to mess with that. I don't even know what that is. And I'm, you know, even if I have my technology today, do I really want to mess with that? Okay, because somewhere in there, you're going to say, I think my commander has lost his mind. I don't know what you do against that. Okay? Look what he says. So it came between the two camps. You have this cloud. And there was a cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light in the night. Thus, one did not come near the other all night. All right, there, it's, it, I, I, I can only tell you what the text says. It got dark, and yet in the dark was a light. Okay, so it's going to be one of the things that you're just going to look at and say, I don't know what that is. But you know what it was? It was smart enough that the Egyptians said, I'm not going to mess with that. I'm going to stay right here. Verse 21 says, then Moses stretched out. So, so you get that one night break that the Egyptians are drawing in now. And they're all on horseback. You got that one night break. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and Yahweh swept back the sea. Strong east wind. That's just funny because I've watched people say, well, you know, there was, this was some kind of natural phenomenon. Okay. Wind blew hard enough to separate a big body of water. No problem. It was just a natural phenomenon. Something happened. Perfect. And Moses just happened to know when the phenomenon was going to happen. And he could stretch out his hand and make it happen. And it looked like he just 
lucked out. Man tries to, you know, we think there was an earthquake. That's what it was. And Moses just lucked out and, wow. And it just happened. It just happened. It literally says it walled up. Um, The psalmist speaks of this. A couple of different texts. One is in chapter 74, verse 13. You divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the sea monsters in the water. He literally just spread it out. Spread it out. How? It's just his strength. I don't know what that is. Well, he did a win. I don't, well, okay, he did a win thing. I've been on boats in wind, in wind, on big bodies of water and little bitty bodies of water. And I've never seen the, you know, I've been on Lake Erie. I've been in Lake Michigan. I've been in Lake Superior. I've been on some lakes around here. Uh, I remember, uh, or was with Bonnie Reservoir. I had a boat and had turned it into the wind and it was, had an open bow for fishing on it and the wind was blowing the water so hard that it was coming over the windshield okay over the bow and over the windshield all right and it was trying its best to drown me but anyway all right i didn't see the bottom of bonnie reservoir and it was a serious wind filled up my boat literally about that far of coming across the top of my batteries would have shut me down. But I didn't see the bottom of Bonnie. Well, it was a wind thing. Okay. It says there in 21, it was swept back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea to dry land so that the waters were divided. All right, the wind is hard enough that the bottom of it is now dry. Okay, now, if you've just got a big old lake laying on earth and bottom, you have mud. But the wind stopped it. The psalmist also says in Psalm 78, verse 13, He divided the sea and caused them to pass. He made the water stand up like a heap. Okay, go on back to your text there. Chapter 14 of the Exodus. And the Egyptians took up the pursuit. And all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went after them into the midst of the sea. And it came about at the morning watch. Okay, the morning watch is anywhere between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. All right? It came about in the morning watch that Yahweh looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud. And he brought the army of the Egyptians into confusions. Okay, he's already hardened their heart. Pharaoh's heart's been hardened. It's a divine intervention into Pharaoh's life. Lord is aware of what is happening and he has brought havoc upon the Egyptians. Chaos sets in. They are entrapped. They are entrapped. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve. 
He made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee. We need to flee. We need to flee from Israel. For Yahweh is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then Yahweh says to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots, and over their horses. The psalmist tells me in chapter 77, verse 17 through 19 on this event, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth a shout, your arrows flashed, Here and there, the sound of thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world, the earth and trembled and shook. And your way was in the sea and your paths in the mighty waters. Same event. They couldn't go back. They couldn't get out of this because it looks like God started making it rain. And the Egyptians and their horses and their chariots. Moses stretched out his hand, just like Yahweh said in verse 27, over the sea, and it returned to the normal state at daybreak, 6 a.m. While the Egyptians were fleeing right into it, then Yahweh overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. 28 says that the waters returned. And covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one remained. Not even one. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like walls to them on their right hand and on their left hand. And Yahweh saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power in which Yahweh had used against the Egyptians, the people feared Yahweh. And they believed in Yahweh and his servant Moses. Okay? And this is amazing because what happens next is astonishing. They begin singing. They begin singing. It is obvious the difference between Israel and Egypt. It is obvious of what the obstinance of the heart of man who was heading the Egyptians uh, had done and what he had brought. The disobedient uh, disobedience of that ruler had brought about the complete collapse and destruction of his nation. And he was told. And even his soldiers, when they understood that it was Yahweh they were fighting against, and Yahweh was the one, they realized, you know what? Yahweh's on the Israelite side. I don't think this is a good fight. So they sang. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang the song to Yahweh, and they said. Now, this is a fascinating song. It has four stanzas. First stanza is 1 through 5, second stanza is 6 through 10, third is 11 through 13, and then 14 through 17, and then you have like a summary in verse 18. And yet all the way through it, it is declaring, 
God. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider has hurled into the sea. And Yahweh is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him, extol him. Verse 3, the Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is a lawyer, a, a warrior. He ain't no lawyer. <laughs> Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army have been cast into the sea. He brings it up again. Horse and the rider have been hurled into the sea. Pharaoh's chariots and his army have been cast into the sea. And the choices of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. Verse 5, the depths cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Second stanza, your right hand, O Yahweh, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Yahweh, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger and it consumes them as if chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. But the enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind and the sea covered them and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. The third stanza, verse 11 to 13. Who is like you among the gods, O Yahweh? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders, you stretch out your hand, the earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. Now note in this third stanza, now what's he talking about? God's holy place. Where is God? Where is God? You'll see it again in the last stanza. There's a flow of thought here. You are my strength. You are my deliverer, my salvation. You are my God. I will praise you. Why? Look at what you did. Look at man at his strongest. And with the breath of your nostril, you just blew out your nostril and you obliterated him. You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. At Megiddo, there's a huge valley. Huge valley. And all the forces of the world are going to gather in that valley and they're going to come against Israel. Okay? It's just north of Jerusalem proper. Um, it is uh, just a little bit south of the city of Nazareth. Okay? And it would be west of what you would know as the Golan Heights. Huge valley. Huge. I mean, I've stood on Mount Carmel and looked out at it. It's called the Valley of Megiddo. Huge. Flat area. It's got an Israeli Air Force base right smack in the middle of it. You can see the, the triangle of the runways. 
and hundred the the tribes of the world are going to amass there for an onslaught onto Jerusalem. And Jesus speaks, and the blood runs four foot deep, two hundred miles. That he just speaks. That's what the song says. Verse 14, the last stanza of the song says, And the peoples have heard and they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. And the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. The leaders of Moab. Say, see, what he's doing now, he's taken, he just took the west coast of the promised land, and now he's taken on the east side of the Jordan River of the promised land. That would be the Edom and Moab. Is that area? The Edomites are on the northern side. All right, and the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them by the greatness of your arm. They are motionless as stone until your people pass over, O Yahweh. Until the people pass over whom you have purchased. What are they talking about? Look at what's just happened. I brought you out. Do you understand why this is important? keeping a promise God's keeping a promise you're not supposed to live in Egypt I told Abraham 400 years I'll bring you out and that's exactly what's going on you have purchased them verse 17 you will bring them and plant them in your mountain of your inheritance the place of O Yahweh where you have made your dwelling, the sanctuary of Yahweh. Actually, that word right there is Jehovah, the sanctuary of Jehovah, which your hands have established. Then verse 18, he summarizes it. Yahweh shall reign forever and ever. He's leading his people. And they're asked questions. Who can stand against this? That's a good question. Your strength, you have guided him to your holy habitation. People have heard and are scared. People have heard and they are scared. The chiefs are in dismay. The leaders are trembling. The inhabitants have melted away. Terror and dread fall away. And he's making these statements and they're phrased as a question. Do you understand that? Do we understand who this is? And that's what he's... The song is about. He's leading his people. He's placing, he's leading his people to a place that he has. And there's fear in the nations of the people who stand in their way, who stand in their path. It's fascinating. Verse 19, for the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea and Yahweh brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. Through the midst of the sea. And that's fascinating because if you back up to verse 1, Moses and the sons of Israel sang a song to the Lord and they said, I will sing to Yahweh. It's community. But if you look at it, there's a whole bunch of possessive pronouns in it. He is working. His ways. His borders. They have confidence. 
and 16 and 17. We're ready to go to the promised land. Listen, 16 and 17, their confidence, terror and dread will fall upon them by your greatness, your arm. They are motionless as stone. Your arm just freezes them in their tracks. Seven hundred years earlier, Exodus or in Genesis chapter twelve, verse fifteen and seventeen, God promised Abraham to bring him into the people. Bring him into the people. That's amazing stuff. In Psalm one forty five, verse thirteen. One forty five. Verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Psalmist understood this. The people who were there at the Red Sea understood this. Joseph understood it. Take my bones with you. Universal rule is coming. Then a fascinating thing happens. First time it's ever mentioned in Scripture. First time that you see it in Scripture is there in verse 20. Miriam. Everybody know who Miriam is? Earl's wife. No. Um, it's Moses' sister. Okay. And a group of women. The prophetess Aaron's sister took the tremble in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and they're dancing. They're dancing. This is the first woman given the honor of a prophetess. First woman. Numbers chapter two, or Numbers chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord spoke through Miriam, it says. Uh, one that is really fascinating to me uh, is all the way in by the prophet Micah. Uh, and this is a fascinating text. Um, I won't get into all of the nuances of it. In chapter 6 of Micah, Verse 4, it says this, Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. It's an interesting text. There are other prophetesses spoken of in the scriptures that are female. Okay, and a prophetess, we understand what that is. One who speaks before. Stands up and speaks before. Wait, you can't. I'm just telling you. Deborah was a prophetess. Huldah in 2 Kings 22.14. Did you know that Isaiah's wife was a prophetess? That'd be a fun household, wouldn't it? Isaiah chapter 8 verse 3. Anna was a prophetess. Did you know that? You know who Anna was? She fasted and served the Lord by the gates of the temple until Messiah would be born, and she was promised that she would see Messiah. Her and Simeon would see Messiah in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Philip had four daughters who were prophetesses. You know that would have been an exciting household, to have four daughters who wanted to stand before and proclaim the acts of God. That was in Acts chapter 21, verse 9. Verse 21 says, Miriam answered them, Sing to Yahweh, 
for he is highly exalted. Exalted the horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. We've sung that song. Now we know why. You've heard the lyrics of that song. The horse and the rider have been cast into the sea. And we all think it's just a cute song. It is if you're not Egyptian. If you're Egyptian, you don't like that song. Why? Same event. It was fulfilling of his promise. Remember when he told Moses when he was in the bush that wasn't consumed? I will harden Pharaoh's heart and I will be honored and glorified through it. Guess what? He did it. He did it. And the people gathered and they sang. They rejoiced. And if you look at the song, what is the emphasis? A little different than our music, some of our music today. A lot of our music today, the emphasis is us. This isn't. This is standing back in awe saying, you know what? I don't know how this happened. But I watched the water heap up. And a wind blew long enough to dry out the ground. And I walked across on dry land. And then when Pharaoh's army came in, they got confused. But it meant long enough to get them all into this valley of heaped up water. And God let the water unstack itself. God is good. God is good. But you know what's fascinating about this whole story? Before the Red Sea opened, what was Israel's mentality? Why'd you bring us out here to die? Okay, now, they were wanting to deal with Moses because he's the one they're, they're watching. But why would you bring us out here to die? And then I will sing to Yahweh. He is highly exalted. The horse and the rider. And they're hurled into the sea. The confidence is back. What happens next? Three days in the wilderness, they don't find the water. And what happens? The murmuring begins. And yet God said, I will take you to the land of milk and honey. They just sing a song. The Edomites ain't going to stand against us. The Moabites ain't going to stand against us. The Philistines ain't going to stop us. Nobody's going to stop us. Look at what just happened. They ain't going to stop us. In the very three days, three days after the complete destruction of Pharaoh's military force and you crossing a body of water on dry land, three days, the doubts begin. And you know what? Ain't no different than any of us in this room. Sometimes I don't even get three days. 
I don't know. I read this and I say, do we really abide? I remember a person telling me that they have waited for a situation for eight years. Situation hasn't taken place, but they're still waiting on it. You mean eight months, eight hours, what? No, eight years. You know what my response to a person like that is? Maybe it ain't happening. I mean, you know. I'm the guys that the three days. Three days ain't got no water. What's up? We can go back to Egypt. The military's all dead. <laughs> they can't hurt us. I can threaten them. Don't make me take you fishing. Are we any better? I've seen some people who do it. They amaze me. A very dear friend of mine. Uh, he's in glory now. Prayed for revival in this country. It was his passion. He says, I want to see the church restored to her glory. And that was his prayer. And he took it to the grave with him. God has revealed himself to each and every one of us in this room. I would say multiple times. I would say that everyone in this room has seen the hand of God move in a providential way. A, 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 a ransom paid rescue. And then I ask the question. I ask it of myself. Why do I doubt him? Why do I doubt him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for keeping up the Red Sea. And Father, thank you that through the act of deliverance was also the act of destruction. What an awesome God you truly are. What an awesome God. Father, your words are true. Your promises are true. They're new every day. Father, let us, let us walk submitted and committed to you, Lord, and you alone to what you do, great and amazing things. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much. In Christ's name, amen.